0: Listener Production. Howdy team, you are listening to episode 121 of the Howie Youngs Part B, featuring a man of many talents, Craig Johnston. On we go. It's remarkable, Tara. you've told me so far. You mentioned earlier on the transfer, which I think you said was a record. So because of my lack of time to research, I've got it here. Uh, Johnston scored 16 goals and 64 games for Middlesbrough before moving to Liverpool in 1981 for a 650,000-pound transfer. That's a long way from the car park.
1: It is. It is. And uh, the funny thing is that uh, uh, that was the most expensive signing um, in Britain in the world. Uh, So I was the most expensive player in the world Um, (laughs) and... uh, Two year, two and a half years earlier, I, w- I was the worst player in the world uh, that Middlesbrough had ever seen. So um, something must have happened in in the Middlesbrough car park, and uh, uh, there was a, a, an awful lot of hard work. But you know, it uh, it's about incremental improvement, and um, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that I figured it out. and you know, again, it, it was extreme and it was really, really, really tough. You could never find the words to explain how tough it is, but it was tough. It was tough. Um, and uh, sometimes I, I, I say I felt like I was in jail um, and in, in bits, you know, in the, um, the coal shed and uh, the car park, I felt like I was in jail. And then at other times I think it's the most pure and beautiful time of my life ever because there was no apps no iphones no internet no television sets uh, it was black and white television but uh, yeah apart from the coronation street uh huh. just that whole day from seven in the morning to seven at night was uh it was just one purpose and one mission and that was to actually play with that uh that perfect object and uh you know reap the rewards that it clearly had brought to others. Um, and years before I'd seen a, a, a Palais film, a film on Pelé, um, and then that with the 1966 World Cup, you know, the commonality, you know, the Brazilian, the, the Giants of Brazil, it was called, a famous mm. movie, uh, was a little round football, you know. And uh, to this day it's still the largest watched uh, event. Yeah you know, in in, in mankind and um, it's given me such a fascinating and incredible life uh, afterwards. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm eternally grateful for, for that solitude and that's what it was.
0: I hope we have time in your schedule for the life after football but let's talk Liverpool for a moment. Now, people, when they want to know, well, how did he go for Liverpool? Won the European Cup. Five league titles and FA Cup. So you won a couple of those titles, the league titles. So you, you won the EPL for the modern football fan in in eighty two and eighty three. What, what is it like in the early eighties, playing at Anfield in that red shirt, which probably had the was it Crown Paints? Was Crown Paints your sponsor back in those days? That somewhere in my mind, as a young fella, you, you're the probably the best football team on the planet. What what was life like for the bloke from Australia?
1: Uh, well, well, actually, uh, what you threw on at the end there. What was life like mm. in that city yeah. for the bloke from Australia? Well, first of all, for the people in that city, Liverpool is a, a fascinating place. You know, it's it's not Manchester, it's not London, it's not mm. Birmingham, and the Scousers. Are hilarious. I don't know if you know many Scousers. I do, I do. But, but clearly, there's also two teams in uh, in Liverpool: Reds and yes. the Blue. And uh, there is no love lost in a, in a very friendly way uh, between the uh, the Blue Noses and uh, and the the Reds. Uh, and it's hilarious because they're at each other all the time: brother and sister, father and son. <laughs> you know, blokes in pubs, and ah, oh, there's no let up from it. And uh, I've often said that uh, there's three currencies that make uh, a scouser, you know, uh, um, or three three things that make up any scouser, you know, and it's, mm. it's music, you know, and mm-hmm. going back to the Beatles and uh, Jerry Marsden, Ferry Cross the Mer- Mersey, who just passed away, Jerry, uh, and football, um, red or blue, and a sense of humor. Mm. <laughs> and they just have this sense of irony about them. That, that's hilarious. So it's a swinging city, you know, like, like Carnaby Street and all of that was in the swinging 60s. Well, Liverpool's outrageously uh, cultural in their own little way, you know. So, so uh, to be there at the time uh, was, was just magnificent. And to be a hero of the people, which you were. You were a hero of the people. Well, well, they'll, they'll bring you back to earth pretty quickly, by the way, you know, <laughs> a, a, a lot like Newcastle people very quickly you th- yep. you think you're clever in that town then all of a sudden you're not clever you're you're, yeah. a, you're a jerk you, you know and um what i was going to say is that's what was happening regardless of wh- whether i was there or not but i'm from a completely different culture and i love other people's cultures so so whatever it was that this this that was it going on in the city i i had a nose for it and and like antennas that picked up the humor and uh, the crack and the dressing room banter was merciless. I mean, <laughs> if you didn't have a crash helmet on, and and you know what it's like in the dressing room, mate. Mm, I do. If you didn't have a crash helmet on in the morning, you you, you would go home with a sore head, and uh, they would crucify you, you know, for for anything. So, so it was just just. Um, mm-hmm. As John Neal, who was uh, eventually the, uh, the, the the manager of Middlesbrough, used to say every it's great to be alive. He'd come onto the training ground and go, it's great to be alive. And you'd get there at the training ground at Liverpool, right, and you're playing, listen to this, you're playing six a side against Gleish and Souness and you've got Grobbler in goal and Mulby huh. up front and Johnny Barnes on the left wing. Right. And you're going, oh, my goodness, am I really playing five a side on a crisp spring morning with a little bit of frost, you know, making the ball shoot off. Right. And there's nobody there. There's not, no crowd, no nothing. You know, and, and someone gets nutmegged. Uh, you know, imagine if Kenny we got nutmegged. You know, it'd be <laughs> hilarious, but you weren't allowed to to laugh because no. it was King Kenny kind of thing. So you'd you'd laugh <laughs> behind your hand like this, you know, and he'd see you. So it was worse if you got caught laughing like this. <laughs> but he hardly ever got nutmeg. But um, it was just uh, you'd thought you'd gone and died and gone to heaven, and then then you realise that you're, you're now getting paid for this. And and I said on a couple of interviews back then, I, I'd have paid any money I had, if I didn't have that experience, I would have paid money to do that, yet yet they were paying you and um, they were just good blokes. Johnston very conclusively. And don't forget, there was no social media, there was no media intrusion, um, basically the rules were so different, and they were all, you know, complete gentlemen uh, at the same time. And uh, you know, it, it was, it was everything was joyful. Everything was joyful and simple. This is what I'm getting back to: black and white, right and wrong, good and bad. And we were the champions of, of, of England and the champions of Europe. A bit of pushing, and indeed, Kennedy has got it. The bit short on the watch, in our opinion. But who will care about that? Save the Spaniards! For one goal, for the fourth year running, has been enough. And those who stand on the top of the end field will be the most delighted in the crowd. So, so,
0: what does it do to you as a professional athlete when you walk out on the ground and they're singing that famous "You'll Never Walk Alone"? There and you've come from the coal shed, and then, as I said, you're playing for the best football team on the planet. How can you describe that to me?
1: Yeah, well, I'm um, i I'm a, a kind of nervous uh, person. I've said this a couple of times before. It's it's like you want to vomit and you want to be sick because you're so nervous about playing badly or not have playing your best, if if you like, mm. and. You know that you're elevated to the level you described, but in two seconds, if you lose a ball or or you get let someone kick you, your leg could be broken because it's ferocious. Once you get on the field, the 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 the, the crowd and the the this glory turns into bloodshed. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, very very. It's like getting a bouncer on the head when you're playing first test against. India or Pakistan or Western yep. Indy, West Indies, when they were on fire, you know the whole nation, the whole world's watching, and one mistake. So, you know, you just either some people are nervous and some are. I just, I just, um, yeah, felt sick in the stomach. But when the 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 agro started, then you had to be aggro. You had to stand up and be counted, and uh, that's when the fight began. So then it was a fight. So you forgot all about that, and you, and you're on survival mode. You know, you're trying, you're trying not to get hurt and, and you're probably trying to hurt someone if you can. Back in the day. This is Lee. And it's Johnston. Oh, he's
0: done well here. Is Craig Johnston. What a good finish. And he's had quite a night. Due to the 17 minutes I had to prepare for this, there's only a couple of games I specifically want to ask you about and I'll take them out of order. I asked you what it's like to, to run out on the ground like that Take me to the 1986 FA Cup Final versus Everton. And on the signal, the teams will break away. And soon the action will be underway. What is an FA Cup Final like when you score, which you did at Wembley? What is that moment that we watch and it makes us smile? And I watched it in the 17 minutes I had of you scoring and... Your hair and the red shirt and the the, the terraces erupt. Rush into Morby. and it's there. It's Craig Johnston. What's it like, Craig? I can see you smiling now, which I'm happy about.
1: Oh, it's a euphoria <laughs> that 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 I've never had before, and. I know I will never have again. Liverpool are in the lead. is big part in it, just as it was in the first one, and Johnston finishing it off. Yeah, because you fought the odds. You you fought the uh, the osteomyelitis in the hospital bed. You you fought uh, getting across. Uh, you know your school teachers that said you would never make anything. Uh, Jack Charlton, uh, you know, the, the ribbing of the dressing room, um, then you're the highest pipe, uh, highest transfer player and people say uh, you'll never be as good as Kevin Keegan, you'll never make it in the Liverpool team. And I, I actually had a hard time at Liverpool um, with, with selection as well because you've got all these world-class players and I was never a traditional footballer with a traditional... Uh, What's it called? Position. Mm. I literally created my own style. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, you know, uh, I I got dropped a lot, which really hurt uh, emotionally and and psychologically. Um, So when you did get these rare opportunities, um, and I've said it and I'll say it again for you as your answer directly to the question, I could have died on the spot, a happy man, because the dream had come true. Yeah, you know, I still got my still got my leg. The scar's still there, um, and I felt like mum and dad's uh, sacrifice had now been justified because I'd reached the dreams that uh, I'd shared with them when I was a little kid. Uh, you know, make me cry actually. Uh, you know, thinking about them back home watching that live on television, and uh, you know, if, if life had ended right there, uh, I, I'd have died a happy man. First Division Championship. Yeah, I, I, I didn't die. Uh, we had a big party and lots of champagne uh, <laughs> at the Mountbatten Hotel in London. Um, but just before the party, and I can see how emotional you are.
0: I just want to ask you two questions on that. What's it like to walk up those steps, and then the team gathers around in that famous shot, and then the trophy goes up in the air? And that's what—that's my first memories of football. And a lot of people, my generation, it's getting up or staying up and watching the FA Cup and you being in it in the red shirt with the long hair. And it was an impossible dream for all of us because it was the other side of the world for me as a watching as a sort of 10 or 11-year-old. What's it like when you walk up those steps? The moment is here.
1: Liverpool have won the double. Craig Johnson, the goal scorer. Well, you've just said it. Um, Howie, you, you, you've just explained that you saw that on television, twelve thousand miles away, when you were a kid. I remember it like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I, I tell you what happened to me when I ran onto the field at Middlesbrough the first time. Yep. Right. I tell you exactly the feeling, and you'll know this. Good. You know, in Sydney, and Melbourne, Brisbane, wherever, when when there's a parade on, and there's a parade on in town, you know, and and either it's the Anzacs or it's Mm. the float that comes past with uh, bands and people, and the bands and the people are on the floats and they're waving to everybody. They're waving to everybody, all the little kids and the grandmas, and they're waving. Well, when I ran on the field at Middlesbrough and when I stood on the, for the first time, right, and when I stood on the steps at Wembley with with the Queen, the Queen Mother, to, to get the trophy, for the first time i wasn't a kid in the street like you were waving to the float i was on the float huh. waving to the the people in the street and that's what it felt like i was on the float huh. it's that perspective where you hang on a sec i'm not waving anymore i'm it they're waving at me so uh, that was that was the weird feeling along with i you know that weird you know i've transposed myself now but To achieve anything in life, and especially at a high level of sport uh, like that, you have to have dreams and you have to have thoughts. And those thoughts have to come from somewhere. And usually, just as you've explained, you were a young kid watching television and somebody was receiving some great. Well, I saw the Charlton brothers receiving the World Cup in the hospital uh, on black and white television when the doctors told me they are going to chop my leg off. You know, so that's where my dream started. So it's very pertinent that you should put yourself in in my place then. But mm. all kids have dreams, girls and boys. You know what? We might win the, the World Cup with a Matildas. And you know that Sam Kerr and and, and all the teammates, they mm. had dreams as young girls to to fight against the tide and, you know, all the problems that uh, women have that w- we don't have even. And they've fought all of that. And they could be standing there and bringing home the World Cup to Australia. So when you're young, you've got to have dreams and parents and teachers have got to encourage kids to, to do all the creative stuff but then have discipline. So it's got to be both sides. You've got to have plan A and plan B but you've got to be a dreamer. You've got to be a dreamer. So when we're talking about parents and kids, whether it was
0: that they were there, I don't know, or a phone call after an FA Cup final, after European Cup, did you have that time with your mum and dad to say thank you and they said, I would imagine your dad who wanted to be a professional footballer, where we had a moment where he said, son, you made it, you did it, you achieved what you're
1: after? Oh, mate, don't, don't start me, don't start me. Um, he's not here anymore, dad. I'm sorry to hear that, mate. <laughs> I, I, I phoned him when I was in the bath. I got straight in the bath. This is after the FA Cup. Mobile phones had come out. I think they were big, huge things. And uh, I think one of the journalists uh, gave it to me and, uh, yeah, I, I spoke to Mum and Dad Now I, I was euphoric then. I wasn't, uh, you know, uh, years later, well, now that he's gone especially. Uh, but I, I didn't need to know because Dad was a very proud bloke, you know.
0: Can you remember any of the conversation?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was all joy and it was all uh, it was all laughter and it was all. I can't believe uh, that's over because not only did we win the FA Cup that year, we won the league, yeah, and uh, we won the double. And only the three double. teams last century had actually won the glorious double against, of all people, Everton. So uh, it, it was a big moment, and uh, I think there was no time to be sad and. Uh, Philosophical, it was a time to be joyous and you know it, it's over, it's over. Um, and and mate, the level of competitiveness at that level, and I think we played about 62 games that season, you know, and uh, where have we ended up in the Champions League, but every week, week out, and I think I played 62 of the 63, <sighs> so week in, week out, the glorious double with Kenny Dalglish's first year in charge. The teammate, the camaraderie, nothing will ever beat that that glorious double uh, and scoring that goal. And uh, as I've said many times, uh, the the second goal that I scored, um, uh, I'd practiced that goal, must have been hundreds, if not a quarter of a million times in the Middlesbrough car park, right foot, middle of the ball low bottom right hand corner because I'd drawn the target there and I'd hit that many 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 times late at night early in the morning. Um, So that's why if if I'd been struck by lightning I'd be be a happy man.
0: Back to Craig in A Tick. Back in episode 37 of the pod, go and check it out, we featured another footballer, Tim Cahill. Now retired, Tim has a record few Australian footballers can match. He also believes in the theory that those who work hard achieve the best results. You're in a situation, and everyone's in this situation, every day walks of life, and it's a competition, and the winner's always going to be whoever wants it more. And all I can say is, is anything that's worth having hurts. Whether it's your wife or your kids or business or anything, sport, it's gotta hurt. If it was easy getting it, it's not worth it. Everyone will be doing it. And I feel that um, the people that are successful, the people that I've played with or the people that I admire in business, are the people that are obsessed with not just winning but failing to become better people and better at what they do. So, yeah, I love the challenge. That's Tim Carle on episode 37 of the show. Go back and check it out. I get a lot of social media messages saying, why don't you get this person on? Why don't you get that person on? Go back and check first because often the people have already been guests. There's so many episodes there waiting for you. All righty, let's get back to Craig. Can I stop you for 15 seconds and just grab someone that, and I'll explain why. Just don't go anywhere. Okay, okay. Come in. Craig. Hello. This is Mac. Hello, Mac. People on the show that uh, listen to this show know him as the Big Penguin, which is his nickname. And before we do a podcast that I have a chance to research, he records, or his sister records, a question on the phone of the guest. Right. And then I play it to the guest. I have a chat about what the question's gonna be. Yeah. So due to the fact that we didn't have a chance to know this was gonna happen today. Yeah, yeah. As he walked in from school, I reckon his mum has said what's going on. So I actually don't know what's coming here, but okay. this is the question live for the first time, Craig, from okay, the Big Penguin.
1: Bring it on. Hey Craig. G'day, mate.
0: I was watching some of your videos of all the goals you kicked. You've kicked a lot of goals. But what I want to know is what's the best goal you've ever kicked?
1: Good question, mate. Well, it is a very good question. And um, when you say the best, um, well, the one that I'm thinking of is the one I just explained to your father was in the FA Cup final in 1986 Against Liverpool, so you got Liverpool versus Everton, which is from the same city. So they're our biggest rivals, right? And we beat them um, at Wembley. So uh, uh, Wembley's a famous, famous uh, stadium, uh, and it's the old Wembley. They've they've rebuilt it since, and it's where England won the World Cup in 1966. And I, how old are you, Mac? I'm nine. Okay. Well, when I was about uh, six years old, three years younger than you, I had a really bad um, uh, uh, scar on my leg, a a really bad, uh, I got injured really badly and I had an operation. So I had a dream because I saw England playing soccer in the World Cup at Wembley in 1966. I had a dream about playing at Wembley and score a winning goal. So then in 1986, which was 20 years later, that dream came true and that's where uh, that's where I scored the goal against Everton and we won the FA Cup. Cool. So it wasn't a very exciting goal. It was like a tap-in, but you said the best. And, and when I say the best, I mean that meant So much to all the Liverpool fans that day and it means so much to me and people always remember that. I scored a lot of better goals uh, but not one that means as much. So that's the answer. Thank you. Pleasure. Good question. Mate, you can take over your dad's job. (laughs) Good on you, mate. I plugged myself back
0: in here. You did well doing that live. Um, Thank you for that. I I could keep talking about football but... I would like to move on to some of the things you've invented. I've never had an inventor on the show before. You've invented a few different things. Let's start with the football boot. Tell me about that.
1: Well, um, I lived in Dublin for quite a while, six years, and, and some of my kids grew up there. And uh, I sat down for a beer with a journalist once from The Guardian and uh he said to me, he said, people are really fascinated. He said, first question, he said, they say, how can a footballer become an inventor, mm. you know? Um, and I said, well, well, that's the first problem. I said, I was an inventor that became a footballer. Gotcha. Yeah, and and that's the story and that's how when I was presented with the problem with by Jack Charlton, right, He was 100% right. Mm. But I... Uh, created a way to to solve the problem. I invented a, a, a way of getting better on a daily basis. So, so I said, first of all, I am an inventor that became a player. Um, second of all, the whole concept of the predator boot, every day I went to the Middlesbrough car park to try and get better, um, I thought about the simplistic notion of what part of my foot do I put on what part of the ball to what effect, meaning topspin backspin, side spin a little bit like a cricket ball and uh, the swing, the swing Mm -hmm. of it or the spin, you know, Mm -hmm. where it hits the turf or the swing generally is the same as how you swerve a ball in soccer and it's high and low speed. Did you know a ball never, ever accelerates as it's going through the air? It's always decelerating. Now what you've also got is high and low pressure if you can make that ball spin, right, and that's what swerve is. Right, okay. And it's much like the, uh, the swerve on a football. So fundamentally uh, when I retired from football because my, my sister got sick, I was 27 and I walked away from the game, came back to Australia. Um, I said, I'll never get back into football again. I'll never play again. Um, and then I got a do- knock on the door and it was two little kids and they said, oh, hello, Mr. Johnston. We're from the local soccer team, but we're not very good. Will you come and coach us? A little bit like <laughs> Mac there, you know, about his age. And yeah. not, not as cute as Mac, but uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I went down and had a look at him, Avalon, and uh, believe me, these, these kids weren't very good. <laughs> anyway, so I was coaching them and I said, look, you got to learn to swerve a ball. So I explained to them, I said, it's like a table tennis bat. Think of your, you know, your, your shoe. As a table tennis bat and then you can get topspin on it, you know, okay. uh, or backspin. And they said, oh, we get it, yeah, yeah, we play table tennis. And then one of the little kids put his hand up and said, yeah, M- Mr Johnson, that's fine, but uh, it's it's raining now and our boots are made of leather, not rubber, so it won't grip the same way. And I thought, oh, yeah, you're, you're right, you're right. So, um, And I've been thinking about this for years because of the Middlesbrough Car Park. So I'd tried various surfaces over the years. So it started to gush down with rain and it got postponed, the, the training session. So on the way home I said, yeah, the kids reminded me. So I went home and I took the table, the, the, just like this, I took the, uh, the top of the, the rubber off a table tennis bat and I stuck it on my boot and I wrapped it with elastic band. I went out in the rain. I kicked the ball, which is made of polyurethane, right, and the butadine of the table tennis rubber made this squealing like a pig noise against <laughs> the, the polyurethane with the water in between. So this squeaking, squealing noise of a pig. And, <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, the kids are right, 100% right. So then... Um, so that, that's the rough part of the table tennis, that, to, to impart the spin of the bat. It, it's the grip and, and that gotcha. combination of rubber... As I explained, extraordinary, the, the, extraordinary. So, so it did. It was spinning like uh, all sorts of things. But I tried this before with various services because I knew that, uh, that that the whole thing was about uh, a grip. So I, I then became fascinated. I was working at Wide World of Sports at the time, by the way, when this was on with uh, Daryl Eastlake and uh, Maxi Walker. Maxi Walker. Maxi Walker, yeah. I was working with all those blokes, uh, Gibbo. Uh, and I had, Was Alan Jones doing it, Al- Formula One Alan Jones? Uh, both, both right. rug- Rugby Alan Jones and Formula One, they were both there. Um, so I was, I was working with all of those blokes and I was doing a story a week and I loved it. I just loved it. And uh, But then I got more and more fascinated by this, uh, the whole concept. So anyway, long story short, um, various people had also approached me with their ideas and... Um, and I thought, no. So I, uh, there was no patents, no, no, no um, iPhones, no any of that stuff still. So I looked up patents at the Lloyd. It was a very expensive process, but nobody had ever created like an increased sweet spot area. So I did that on three surfaces, right, and then I, I created a couple of prototypes, well, a couple, you know, 40, 50 prototypes. And then I thought, no, there's something in this. So I, I, I went over to Europe. I went to Adidas. And they completely knocked it back. They said, nah, it'll never work. Uh, We've tried it. You've tried it before. Showed them some of my older prototypes. They said it'll never work. And they said, anyway, we've got no money. We're we're going bankrupt, which they were. So that was the end of uh, Adidas. Uh, And I knew it worked. So um, I kept going and going and going. And uh, at the same time, um, the TV show was up getting up and running the main event, and I found someone called Larry Amda. This is a TV show you invented? Yeah, uh, yeah, I created the main, event. the main event. Thanks a lot.
0: Welcome back to the main event. We are in round four. 60 points up for grabs for our families here. Before we go on, let's check the all-important scores right
1: now. Mike so I was doing that, and I, I wrote it, and I scripted it, and, and Larry was working at Channel 10 as a news, news guy, and I said, Larry, I said, the thing about you, I said, it's w- women love you and blokes don't hate you, uh, you know, because cause, cause you're one of us. Uh, I said, so, so he became the, um, the host of the main event and then that went on primetime television. So I was juggling that with the patents, so I put him on the back uh, burner. So what was your role on the main event? Well, I was executive producer. Right, of course you were. Of course you bloody were. I, I okay. wrote the show. So the boot was on the back burner then? Yeah, I put it on the back burner because Adidas had said, no, it'll never work. So then, you know, as, as as I coached the kids a bit more, I would do more and more prototypes and I'd cu- cut up all sorts of things and put them on the boot and, and just it always teased me because don't forget my my existence once upon a time Um. Involved waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, going down to a car park mm. and kicking a ball religiously, and then my career depended on it, like the goal against Everton, the FA Cup final. So um, so <laughs> I knew that I was right. So I eventually um, went back to Europe, uh, and, and it's a bit of a long story how The Predator came about, um, but I, I took it to Nike. I took it to Reebok. I took it to Umbro. I took it to uh, I think Asics, um, and they all knocked it back and said, "No, it'll never work." Uh, and mate, I was I was feeling a little bit like Jack Charlton in the car park. It's like mm. I know I know this works. I know it works. So I'd spent so much money on patents and legals and travel now, um, and and little videos. I shot little videos. So then I eventually ended up going back to, uh, to Germany. Do you want to hear the story, the rest of it? Oh, my word, I want to hear the story. You've got me on the hook. So, so what happened was I turned up in Munich um, in the middle of December, middle of winter, and it was freezing, and I knocked on the door at Bayern Munich, and I said, can I see Mr Beckenbauer, please, Franz Beckenbauer, who's the president of the club? And they said, who are you? I said, oh. Here we go again. My name's Craig Johnson. I'm from northern New South Wales, Australia, um, you know, but I played for Liverpool. <laughs> anyway, the woman went away. But I played for
0: Liverpool. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the woman went away. She said, oh, the Kaiser, he is very busy, you know, the The German, king. The king of German football. He is very busy, you know. Uh, I don't know whether he can see you. So anyway, she came back. She said... She says, "Yeah, yeah, uh The Kaiser, he uh, he knows you. He knows you. He loves Liverpool, and he knows you." Uh, <laughs> he, he said, "But come back tomorrow." He said, "And bring uh, four four pair of of this shoe." I said, "Okay." So the next day, still still snowing, freezing. I turn up uh, with with four pairs of, of of the boot, right foot, and. Uh, He's got his tracksuit on. So, so he's the president of the club, but he's brought with him Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, <laughs> Paul Breitner, Hansi Muller, and there was one other player. Um, but anyway, four of the best German players ever. Um, <laughs> Gerd Muller, Gerd Muller, the, 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 the incredible goal scorer. So anyway, they've come out onto the, um, the snow at Bayern Munich's training field and they're trying to the boot on and they're kicking the ball to each other. Right, and they're talking in German and I've got this little uh, camera. You know, cameras were really in their infancy. What year was this? This would have been 90-ish, 90-ish, yeah. And
0: you don't know what they're saying?
1: No, 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 I uh, don't speak any German. But but I know what jawohl mean in, in Deine Klein and uh, das ist gut, you know. I know <laughs> what that means. Uh, and they were talking about and they were making hand gestures and they were going... You know, and, and uh, jawohl, jawohl. So I'm filming it all, right, and they're doing different things and they're moving further and further and they're hitting the ball far, far, just like only a German. Then they start bending the ball and, mate, it was freezing, by the way. Have, mm. have you ever played soccer in the snow in England or um, Europe? Oh, I've played a fair bit of soccer in England in winter, to be honest. Well, yeah. well, there you go, there you go. Well, you know how when it's freezing and it's snowing and you kick the ball, it's like kicking <laughs> a brick. Because the ball's is, yeah. frozen, and now your feet are frozen because it's yeah. only thin kangaroo leather. Yeah. Right. So it hurts, but the rubber's not hurting them. Okay. So they're smacking the ball, and it's not hurting them. So they okay. go. So there's lots of stuff, hand waving and gesturing going on about all of this stuff. So I filmed it all, and I said exactly what you. What are you saying? What are you saying? They said it doesn't matter what we're saying. You've got the tape. It doesn't matter. You know, and the Germans are very, defi- I said, well, do you like it? They said, it's on the tape. So I said, okay, okay. Well, said, well thank you. And they had to go to training. So they were off, you know, because they were training, the, you know, with the first team. So um, I got in a car and I went straight back to uh, um, Herzog & Auroch, which is near Nuremberg, which is yeah. where the Adidas factory is. And uh, as I told you, Adidas were going bankrupt. They were trading as insolvent. They couldn't pay their debts. So the Dazzler daughters, Addie Dazzler's daughters, were selling the business to a, a, a French guy called Bernard Tapie for a dollar. A dollar? A dollar. So Adidas was being sold for a dollar and everybody kind of knew and it was a big deal. So I'd met Bernard Tapie at, um, at um, a UNICEF uh, function um, the year before, in the World Cup in Italy, that's exactly. Remember when I couldn't remember what year it was? Yes. So I'd met Bernard Tapie because I was a UNICEF ambassador with Pele. Uh, in um, it was Pele, Jürgen Klinsmann, and uh, Rude Hullett and myself. Rude Hullett? Yeah, yeah. Dutch boy. Yeah, we, we were the four ambassadors. So, so we'd been introduced to um, uh, Bernard Tapie. So he's now buying. Adidas for a dollar. For a dollar, okay. Yes. So I've come to the reception, the security guards. I said, look, can you let me? They said, oh, no, you're the Australian guy. They said, no, the, the rubber shoe doesn't work. The, the... the rubber shoe doesn't work. Yeah, the rubber shoe doesn't work. It was called Das Superboot back then, Das Superboot. <laughs> okay. Das Superboot, it doesn't, a uh, kleiner work, you know, like, and they w- w- wave him finger like this. And I'm saying, no, 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 it does. I've got the Kaiser. I've got the Kaiser and uh, Ruminiger. What, what? I've got the Kaiser and Ruminig on the tape. Doing what? <laughs> Kicking the box, you know, so my German is worse than my middle bracks and, you know, it's kind of the same thing. So I said, they have to see it. So anyway, this bloke phones up and uh, Tappy answered the phone and he said, no, you've got to let this guy in. I've, I've met him before, right, and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, they let me in. I went up to the boardroom, all sombre faces, and they've got a big television screen and they're watching some, you know, business plan or something. So I said, look, I've got this tape off the, off the Kaiser. What does he say? I said, I don't know. Put it in, put it in. So put it in and there must have been 15, 20 people in the room. And you still don't know what he said on it? No idea, no idea. <laughs> so anyway, within, I don't know, 45, 35, 45 seconds, all of them stood up and they all started clapping and they said, this is the future of our brand. And then then Tappy and a guy called Rob Strasser, who was one of the original Nike founders, pulled me aside and said, you can't leave this room until we do a deal. So I did a deal with him on the spot. Today, we're gonna take a look back in time, as I'm gonna walk you through every single generation and give you the entire history of one of the most legendary football
0: boot silos to ever be made. We are, of course, talking about the Adidas Predator. It all started With this guy, the OG Adidas Predator. Now, the idea behind Predator originated from former footballer Craig Johnston, who wanted a football boot inspired by the grippy texture on a table tennis bat. So he developed the idea and later sold it to Adidas, who engineered these... And how many pairs of these boots, Dust Super Boot, the Predator, were sold?
1: Oh, it's the largest selling soccer shoe of all time. And, and, uh... Not long after I arrived, um, another super wealthy uh, chap called Robert Louis Dreyfus came in, a French guy, a Swiss, Swiss guy, and floated the business for for more than a billion and a half dollars. And all the, the media, right, and the Wall Street Journal said the two things that created the 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 the, um, the, um, the, the enormous uh, uptick in the um, the, the sh- share price. Yes, uh, for the 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 float was. Um, the Adidas Predator boot and the traction sole both of which were mine right and and Madonna had worn a red miniskirt on the catwalk with three white stripes underneath so so they'd hit a fashion market and they then became kings again of the world's largest sport, uh, you know, which was which was soccer. So yeah, so so so, but but David Beckham was wearing it. Zidane, uh, Lionel Messi, everybody was wearing it. Yeah, yeah, everybody. It, largest selling shot, and it made them billions and billions of dollars.
0: And crass question, obvious question: Did it make you lots of money?
1: Uh, it did to start with. Um, it did to start with, and then I think they realised that uh, I was making too much money. Because I owned the patents, they didn't own the patents. So uh, when you're a global company like that, uh, mm. it, it was a David and Goliath uh, battle, and and uh, I was David, and and I lost the battle, uh, and that, they won. And uh, it still still uh, hurts. Yeah. But people know that story. People know that the predator was uh, was was my. Invention and patent, uh, it was never theirs. It was never theirs. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, so legally I, uh, I feel uh, the wrong thing was done. And uh, that was 20 years ago. By the way, patents only last 20 years, so it ran out two years ago. Um, so I've got the next uh, iteration up my sleeve, I must say, and I, I know what the, uh, the, the next generation of, of predators are.
0: I could do this for another two hours. You couldn't. I have one final question for you, and I always finish with this question. Craig, for all the youngsters listening out there that want to achieve some success in their field, whether that's to be a professional footballer or an iPhone programmer or a guitarist or a scientist, from your wealth of experience, and I say wealth of experience, what is that one little kernel you can leave them with? And this is the hardest question, but it's the best question.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a funny one and probably one you're not expecting, but before you're a sportsman or woman or before you're a businessman or woman, you're a, you're a person and you're, um, your sport will make you a better person because it will make you win together and win gracefully and lose together and lose gracefully and and, uh, your sport and your personality will be with you till the very end of of your life and life should be about joy and fun and somehow you've got to turn your chores, right, and I don't just mean sports chores but cleaning your bedroom and all of that stuff into fun so that you can get more time in the backyard or what, what you really want to do. So I think that when you've been a, a successful sportsman at the end of the day or woman, you look back and you, you look at the, the, the poor little kids struggling and you want to help them and, and you say, well, it's, it's not just about the sport and it's not about trying harder that everyone sells or being tougher, you know. It's about finding happiness through solving problems rather than letting the problems tear you apart. Um, So I I think that life is a roller coaster of, of problems and it's how you solve them or attempt to solve them that makes you a happy person. And at the end of the day, when you get to 60 years and you look back, you've got to be happy because it's no good being a fabulous sportsman and being miserable. Uh, we know plenty of them, don't we?
0: <laughs> we do, we do. It's um, a great, it's a great answer. It's a great answer.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, I don't know. I, I just think that sport brings so much joy and so happiness, so much happiness to us when we're doing it and we're winning. Um, but also, it teaches us lessons when we're losing, and uh, it's such a valuable thing to do. So, so. You know, I, I I told you before that I, uh, I had this dream to be the best soccer player in history and kids, mm. kids, I failed miserably but what I did end up doing is playing for Liverpool, right, <laughs> and uh, I might have been the worst player on the world's best team but I played for Liverpool. So I'm happy. I'm a happy man. I'm not Maradona, I'm not Pelé, uh, but I, I'm so happy that um, I... Um, punched above my weight and I figured out the problems and uh, when you get to my age then you love your country and you love your sport and you want to leave a legacy. So um, you look back and you say well how can I help young people come in this way that got their whole life to live? Well I'm up here having lived my whole life looking down there and saying it's not a lot of the stuff you keep you know, you keep hearing about winning. It's uh, it's about love and joy and teammates and, and having teammates that are your best mates for life. You know, we've all got best friends, but teammates become your best mates. So uh, there's some joy in that, and it's not what you win in life. It's who you win it with and how you win it. You know, it's how you win it, and uh, um, that's... My advice—it's a bit long-winded, but it's not. Can
0: can I finish by saying something to you? You mentioned as you get older, you start to think about your legacy. Now you will have left a legacy for all sorts of people. I think it's only right after listening to you that I tell you the legacy that you left for me, because I was that nine, ten-year-old asking mum and dad to stay up to watch the FA Cup final and seeing this bloke with long hair and a red jumper on that I knew nothing about from Australia scoring these goals in this fantastic game of football. So it introduced football to me and it introduced an understanding to me that this bloke from Australia has gone and done it. So what else can people from Australia go and do? So in in one way it made me fall in love with the game of football, but even at that tender age it was able to show me in my mind that anything it sounds cliched, Craig, but it shows you that anything is possible. Because this bloke, who I had no idea about the story you've just told me, I just saw this bloke, and they would say, and here's the Australian Craig Johnston. And it was like, Well, how the hell's this guy got there? And that to me, that's the legacy you've left for me. And it's it's a fantastic legacy. And I, I had no understanding of what you went through to get there. And with 17 minutes research, mate, I could not be happier with how this has gone and the illumination you've provided me as to how you can achieve what you dream to achieve in sport. And I couldn't be more grateful to you. And I hope it was enjoyable to you as it was illuminating for me.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, Howie. I I appreciate that. And um, Matty John said a similar thing to me. Um, He said that him and Andrew had never read a book. And then they read my book, uh, which is called Walk Alone, and uh, which
0: I would have done yeah. in a, a typical interview experience. But you gave
1: me seventeen minutes. <laughs> well, 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 well let, let Mac read it. Let Mac read it. It's not about I you. It's, it's about Mac and his mates. <laughs> so, 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 um, yeah, yes. I had a laugh with Maddie and I said, "Well, I said that's funny, that mate." I said because I only sold one book, and I often wondered who'd bought that. <laughs> anyway, but but he said he said the same thing, and and I, and I must say. You know, um, it it makes me feel. Gavin Robertson said a similar thing, and um, I'm doing a bike ride with with uh, Steve Wall on the weekend down. Captain's ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The captain's ride down in um, Cayman, and and now that I have retired, uh, you know, it's those moments that you you really, really sort of choke up, and you get a a little bit like when Dad passed away, and you just say, "Hang on a sec, hang on a sec." you know, I really have done something that I didn't know I was doing it because I was living over there. And I, I when I came back home, it was only for a week or two two weeks mid season, and I'd always go to mum and dad and hide from everyone. So people haven't seen me, so I I didn't know the effect it was having back here. But but now I I'm home. I, I uh, it's it's quite uh, emotional, um, and when I hear people like um, as I said, Maddie and Steve War. Saying similar thing to what you said, I, I thought, well, this this is this is it's got to be put to uh, to good use to pass the message on that we all know uh, to our kids because I'm just a bit worried that they're not getting the messages that that we got that mm. that spurred us on to do something. Um, good and um, wholesome and, uh, you know, o- only the things that sport can bring. So so I know it's a long-winded conversation, but uh, I think it's a very important one, especially when you're talking about Australians, right, Australians, right, who, you know, I think I think that we're a little bit lost now and we don't know what our identity is. I think mm-hmm. we're looking for who we are. Um, and, and and it's a little bit worrying, don't you think? It's a very different country to the
0: country I grew up in, which seemed to be a positive, if you have a crack, people will support you country, whereas now it's like if you have a crack, it seems a small minority with a loud voice are hoping you fail and rejoice in your failure rather than your success.
1: Wow, wow. Well, it's worth fighting for, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You know, I... Uh... It is, I've never been into the politics in Australia because I've never been here long enough, but I've, I've been now living at home um, for uh, four years and I just shake my head with disbelief in some of the things I see when I watch the news programs of various... I watch all sides because I'm, I'm anti-political and, uh, mm. you know, the target's Mac and, uh, you know, the young yeah. Matildas, you know, and uh, they're all our, you know, kids. Craig, thank you
0: so much for joining me on the Howie Games. You're a star.
1: <laughs> mate, longest interview in history, wasn't it? But a brilliant one. Thank you. Imagine if we'd had a few beers. And <laughs> next
0: time. There next you time go. I'm in
1: Newcastle. There you go, mate. It's a deal. Well done. Good on you, mate.
0: So there you go, a podcast with less than 20 minutes preparation. That might be the new way forward. Thanks to Craig. What a cracking storyteller with a cracking story. I hope you all love that episode as much as I do and can somehow apply Craig's approach to your life so good. Darce Nardin, as always, Old Mate MJ has rejoined the Howie Games crew and he's working on a new development that we can hopefully bring to you in the next couple of months, so keep an eye out for that. It'd be great if you could do me a favour and recommend the pod to someone. I'd really appreciate it. Spread the word about the show. That'd be cool. Look after yourselves. Until next Thursday with Jeff Fennick. peace and love.
1: And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener